Welcome to SPAC Island. This is Stanley and Alex. We're two Silicon Valley tech product managers who love stock investing and have jumped on board the SPAC boat. Join us on our journey to find the diamonds in the rough. But please, always do your own research before trading. This is not financial advice. Today on SPAC Island, we're going to go ahead and talk through the WeWork SPAC. So BoX is a firm that's merging with WeWork at some later date. But right now, if you invest in the acquisition company, BOWX, then um, at some future date, it's going to merge with WeWork and become a, a new WeWork stock. So essentially, what we're going to talk through if WeWork is a, is a buy, what our thoughts are, and full disclosure, we both have WeWork in our portfolio. But after doing some deeper research on this before the episode, we have some potentially new thoughts. So Stanley, do you want to go ahead and kind of give us a overview of, of WeWork and, and the story so far? Yeah, sure. So WeWork was a company that has been in the media in the last couple of years quite a bit. Um, they were going to go public, but there was a lot of corporate governance shenanigans, so to speak. And so that's why it's still private and still uh, and, and actually going for us back today. But the business itself, the buzzword is co-working. So this idea that if you are a CEO and you have a headquarters for your business, normally you establish a headquarters, right? So like Google has the Googleplex and all of your employees work in one spot. Uh, it's great because you want all your employees to kind of mingle and build culture and come up with really cool ideas together. But not every company is Google. So uh, sometimes you don't want to rent out, you know, giant buildings, or maybe you're a globally distributed company and you want offices in multiple cities. So there's this demand for more flexibility in your office space. And WeWork is trying to meet that demand. And the way they're doing it is by picking locations in, you know, well-known cities like San Francisco, New York, and, you know, everywhere in between and uh, taking big leases on these office buildings. Uh, renting out conference rooms, renting out table space, and to allow people to basically subscribe to ad hoc workspaces where you might have on a floor several different companies all sharing the same conference room throughout the workday, for example. Um, or I think there are different ways that they slice and dice the workspaces, uh, but the whole idea is that businesses that need office space have way more flexibility in what type of locations that they have for their employees. And I think uh, one of the nice things also, they have a lot of different products uh, that a lot of folks can't offer. So for instance, you have like an all access product. So I think it's like $300 a month and you can work at any any WeWork anywhere in the world, which is uh, something that these local firms and a lot of the local competitors can't really compete with. So they have, uh, especially for these companies who used to have people all in San Francisco, for instance, now you can go international and your workers can work uh, wherever they are. So a lot of really interesting products that kind of uh, help make this moat for them and also uh, help them retain the, like their status as the largest co-working company. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how COVID plays into this uh, you know, demand for, for co-working? I think that would be interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of us have been 
home due to uh, the shelter in place orders this past year because of COVID and not just in the US, but all over the world. And a lot of people are now <laughs> with their family, whether they like it or not, uh, almost 24 seven. And so there's even more push to go to an office or go to some type of co-working space or some type of working space. But uh, coffee shops have been closed to working inside. Essentially, there's not really many options out there. WeWork has been one. There's a bunch of these local places. I actually got a co-working space so that I could get out of my house. And during COVID, there weren't really many people there. I think in a 30-person space, I was one of four people that were actually coming to the office. And then now as a result of everyone going back, but still their office is still remote, but now they have the vaccine, they're safer. That 30 person place is completely filled up and to the point that they actually converted two of the conference rooms into three additional office uh, office spaces. So we're seeing just a massive increase. I mean, that's anecdotal, but I'm, I'm sure <laughs> across the board, we're seeing a massive increase in demand for office space, um, even from people who have just been working home um, from home for the past year. So I think riding those tailwinds, uh, you'd see uh, WeWork potentially uh, capitalizing on that and helping increase your occupancy rates. You know, maybe this is a good time now to pivot to like the the quantitative side of things. So, you know, how, how fast have they been growing? What's their cost structure like? Yeah, so <laughs> 2019 to 2020, uh, essentially had flat growth, which, you know, with COVID, that's not too unexpected. They did have uh, pretty incredible losses. So they lost around, I think, three and a half billion in 2019 and then uh, 3.2 billion in 2020. I think 2020 also sounds like a lot more than it, it might actually be because a lot of that was also dealing with the shenanigans of 2019 when they had the whole leadership reshuffling and they were paying for a lot of write downs, getting out of leases and trying to divest from uh, non-core businesses. So I think that Yes, they, they still lose a lot of money. They're not profitable. They do have a quote unquote road to profitability, but they're not profitable yet. They're losing a lot of money, but they do have pretty substantial revenue. So they have uh, over $3 billion in revenue expected for 2021. And then they've got um, around uh, like $3 billion for the last two years as well. So they're generating a lot of revenue. Obviously, it's a very, very expensive business having all these leases. They were able to save a lot during COVID by just renegotiating a lot of their deals. Um, and they do have some clout as being uh, a large company at this point. So they're able to get additional deals on those those leases. Um, but from a cost structure standpoint, they're still losing money. I think I'm optimistic that they can become profitable just as they kind of focus on the core businesses, focus on um, the large demand that, that we're seeing uh, across the board and increasing the, those occupancy rates. I think for context, 2020, they had 50% occupancy rates. Um, and they were still able to to bring in uh, a few billion dollars in revenue. So I, does, I do think that once they're able to increase that with the COVID demand, that you're going to see an actually profitable company. But uh, Sandy, what, what's your read on the, on the financials? I think you're right. I think I like to look at margins. And I think in the long run, they are going to have margins that you would expect from a company with physical goods in play. So that's not going to be like a Facebook where they just like print money, uh, like no tomorrow. The margins are going to be more like at best in the, you know, breaking 30. So probably like for the most part in the in the 20s, which is not bad because they do pump through a lot of uh, top line, as you just mentioned. Um, so it could be it could be a good play. I 
think that it's smart in the short run for their numbers to have divested from a lot of their ventures. For example, they had purchased Meetup, uh, which is an app that customers use to organize meetups. You know, anywhere in the world, you can just uh, organize an event and allow people to show up somewhere. So I thought that was a smart play back when they had made the acquisition. I mean, it was a very expensive acquisition, but I saw the product vision in it where WeWork could be the primary place where people would want to gather and hold events and do all that stuff. But I think in the long run, shedding all those ventures will kind of hurt their upward growth trajectory. It'll hurt their ability to expand out from being just a real estate business with 30% max margins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they lose the the SaaS component. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that when you have, I guess it's it's a question of, do you want to stay like some type of experimentation to go away from the core? Do you want to just really lock down the core? I think at this point, after everything that they were doing, I think I like the idea that they're focusing on their core and then can expand a little bit more slowly in the future. Um, I do think Meetup is an interesting thing to divest from because at least my first interactions, and I'm sure a lot of people's first interactions with WeWork was via uh, Meetups that were hosted Mm -hmm. at WeWorks. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure the Meetups would still be at WeWork. So do you really need to have it on your books? I think that's that's kind of an open question. I do need to own the, the platform in order to get the benefits. And the answer is probably no. Not only, but I thought it was also a data play so that you could see where people are meeting up and kind of those trends over time as not only a acquisition, like a marketing branding tool, but also a see where the hockey puck is moving type of tool. I don't really see it that much in a data perspective because I think a lot of the meetups were already going to be hosted at office spaces or public spaces. So them seeing where people are meeting, I don't know if that is necessarily that valuable especially because you could purchase a lot of this location data. Oh, but, fair. but I do think that like being able to have like a tie up and maybe have a discount for events at a WeWork would be interesting, but I don't know why they needed to acquire them. Again, this is like pre-management shuffle. So they, they acquired this yeah. in 2018 or 2019. So mm-hmm. a lot of, they were a lot less focused back then and they were burning a lot of cash a lot quicker back then as well. So I think now we're seeing a much more focused company that's, I think they shed 67% of their staff a year. So they're just really focusing on profitability. And I, I agree with that. I think this is a, a cash cow business. Uh, you're right, there's not the margins aren't going to be that great. But uh, if you can just shed all the, the excess, because really it, besides managing the properties, making sure that you can continue to acquire new leases and continue to do marketing, I don't think they need that much like, expensive engineering talent. So I really mm-hmm. like to see that the, the new leadership is focusing on reducing the burn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to know what you think about their ability to, to grow after they become profitable or once they are mature enough to where they can decide when they want to be profitable. Their CEO, Sandeep Mithrani, I don't know if he's a long-term CEO. His specialty is turning around companies. So they basically put him in place to help turn around WeWork to get it profitable, to clean it up. Uh, clean up the books and and make sure that the investors are able to get some type of ROI. So I think, is he a long-term kind of like a growth CEO or one of those visionary CEOs? I don't think so. Will he stick around? I think there's so many of these businesses that could be cash cows, but they're just throwing money out the window, uh, trying to experiment and trying to make new products that 
are way far away from their core. I think WeWork is a good example of like, great, you have real estate. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is helping the existing landlords and, and all these other real estate companies with some type of digital transformation. Because as part of WeWork, they've already made, they've already digitized so much. So being able to sell that to other landlords, I think that's an interesting business. That's something that they already have. So do you need a visionary CEO to just execute on essentially making sure you're profitable, continuing to be profitable, and then continuing to try to sell this type of SaaS product? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I think that someone, maybe the investors will try to push for that in a few years. But I think for now, I'd much rather have someone who's just really focused on profitability first, um, especially for a business like this. Like, I don't think that this needs to be some type of like visionary product company. It just needs to have a decent workspace and ha- like continue to acquire customers. And in that capacity, I think this guy's perfect. Um, but I guess in terms of the your second question around growth, and where this company can grow. At a certain point, they're gonna be tapped out. I don't know when that market saturation is. I mean, right now they're already in uh, dozens of countries and uh, they have, I think, 800 plus locations all over the world. So they're already the market leader. So is the is the growth trajectory continuing to dominate in new cities and new locations? Or is it uh, to try to have some type of successful SaaS product? I think it's like a diverging path. One is super capital intensive, and that's kind of the path. That, that's how they were able to get to this. They were able to just suck in tons of investor money and then acquire all of these long-term leases to then build out that massive network. I mean, it works. They have a massive network. It's able to generate a lot of cash. Uh, so that's good in one sense, um, but it will continue to suck in a lot of cash in order to grow that. So it's a very expensive way to grow with relatively low margins. I think the other side of that is, could you make some type of very successful SaaS product in this space? I think there's one, like the known course and the thing that they've already done and done very effectively is to just grow with capital and continue to acquire leases and then fill those spaces with um, with paying customers. So I think that's a safer method. I think in parallel, being able to try to sell these uh, SaaS products to landlords could be really interesting but I don't think it's as, as expensive. So if you look at it from like a capital allocation standpoint, if you put 10% of your capital towards trying to um, create and sell this SaaS product, then that could be potentially a, a big business in the future. Also just acquiring could actually be a cheaper way to, so acquiring that market and then selling it to your existing uh, landlords could also be interesting. I mean, those are the two main growth areas I see. Otherwise, maybe they can try to upsell their existing customers and do those types of things and try to get an additional 10, 20% on their, on their, um, on their current bookings. But uh, yeah, I think the growth is relatively straightforward. It's uh, get more places or try to do this Hail Mary with the, uh, with the SaaS product. But what do you, what do you think? Going back to the, the CEO question, I definitely think this guy is the right leader for today's WeWork. I just think that he's not going to be a growth guy. So the ideas that you had around how WeWork might grow, I think he would need to either have some really amazing head of product or like a, a CEO of something or somebody just to take over his role. Like the board would have to really keep an eye out on that and transition the exec team in the right mm-hmm. way to yeah. for them to kind of catch that growth. So that's something that I definitely want to pay attention to. But even before they get profitable, 
I think this is something that you touched on, but I would like to dive more into with you is the idea of moats, right? So the company itself spent a lot of money signing up a lot of leases to expand very quickly and their presence, their brand, and also, you know, all their use of acquisition people was their early moat. Is that enough for them to get profitable uh, without much competition? Because I know that there are other co-working spaces, like even the one that you're at, you know, is technically competing with WeWork. What is, is there a real barrier to entry that WeWork can set up on its way to profitability? Yeah, I mean, I think their biggest moat is just being in so many locations. Like, especially if we see a rise of of like remote travelers. So all these remote workers, instead of just being cooped up in their apartments, decide to go to, I don't know, to, to live wherever they want or to travel and work. WeWork is essentially the only option for these folks. But they're not the ones paying. They're the employees, right? It depends on uh, the type of work. So some companies pay. And it's much easier to go with uh, with WeWork. If it's a consultant, obviously they're going to choose what they want to do. But three hundred dollars a month is incredibly reasonable, I think. Like I'm paying uh, for context, I'm paying two fifty a month, but I was able to get a good deal. I think normally it's like three fifty, and that's like a single office space. You can pay three hundred a month to go anywhere in the world. Uh, that's a pretty good deal. Like I would definitely take that, uh, especially because a lot of these spaces, at least in the in the U.S. and like a lot of European places, are going to be more than that. Uh, I think they're able to kind of offset that by it being more expensive in like Asia and other other lower cost locations. But but again, it depends like in terms of modes, it depends on your type of customer. So the location is really alluring to a small segment of customers, but statistically it's probably not a large part. I think the they don't really have any specific modes beyond being really nice, being able to have a good sales team, um, and being able to already be or already being at scale. So that they can um, acquire all these customers in all these different locations. Uh, otherwise, there's, I mean, it's a, it's an office. It's like the reason I chose my, my location or my uh, co-working space is because of the location. Mm. And I think one, yeah, I think one thing that might be kind of working against WeWork is that they're normally downtown. They're not in neighborhoods. Um, which for for like getting a large amount of office space and for kind of economies of scale makes a lot of sense. You want to be downtown, you want to be in a hub, especially a lot of uh, business people want to be downtown. But nowadays, I think it could be a short-term COVID thing, maybe just the next year. People probably aren't going downtown as often. I mean, here in DC, downtown is dead. There's not really that many people. So as things open up, it's going to change. But I think in the meantime, these smaller places that are located closer to where the customer lives, I think makes more sense for a lot of people. And WeWork has, I think, what, 25% of the market? So this other 75% is catering to people uh, probably closer to where they live in the neighborhoods, and they're much smaller. So it's not like a massive office building. It's like a 30-person place or even a 10-person place. There's some really small ones out there. Okay, I see what you're saying. In that case, it definitely seems like the WeWork bull thesis is heavily tied to a particular point of view on how the remote working trend will play out specifically that they are kind of joined at the hip like the more remote working the more flexibility in remote working the stronger we works like the more valuable their competencies are yeah totally agree 
I actually want to also rewind to what you were saying about the pricing. Because I'm curious if that's going to have to go up for them to uh, actually become profitable. Because you were saying you can have 300 bucks a month and you can be at any WeWork in the world and have a desk? Yeah, it's their all-access plan. I, I mean, I looked at this uh, a while back. And you can go every day? Yeah, you can go every day. And you get, uh, I think you get like five hours of um, credits. So those are like for meetings. But that's like, I mean, at least to me, that seems that's a pretty alluring kind of prospect because any city I go to in the world, there's going to be a WeWork that I can go to and I can work at, which means I'm going to get super fast internet. I'm like guaranteed all these kind of office utilities that you you come to expect as opposed to staying at an Airbnb, not really sure about the Wi-Fi and if you can work. Essentially, is a guarantee that you're going to have good Wi-Fi, you can work, you can do your job. You don't have to worry about the the infrastructure. Okay. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that because that is insanely cheap. So that's like less than $100 a week. So less than $20 a day. Yeah. But for a normal office space, how do you think that compares like dollars per day wise? I don't know. It's, it's pretty cheap. I mean, in DC, like I'm in the suburbs, like in uh, Northwest, um, if you know DC. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think the normal rate is like 350 So... If they're offering three hundred dollars for even for DC, I mean, I think it, it, you take any open desk. So essentially, it's it's excess inventory from their perspective. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's that much additional cost to them. I, if they there is a problem if there's too many people, but you have to book ahead of time, so they can essentially mm-hmm. manage that. So that is one caveat that if if a place is full, you you can't go, you can't book a, a book a desk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think like in India, I was working in India like a few years ago. I was working in a co-working space, and it was like eighty bucks a month. So you can kind of see the cost difference in, in India, in like a nice part um, of Delhi in like Nehru place, it was 80 bucks a, a month. And then in the US and kind of more outskirts of DC, it's like 350 bucks. So it's a pretty significant cost difference, like 4X. Hmm. So I'm guessing that's part of how they, they offset it. But at the same time, it's it's unused real estate, right? Nobody's sitting at that desk. You book it, you sit there. It's not really any incremental cost to them. That's a very alluring deal for a lot of people, especially who are more mobile. And from WeWork's perspective, it's they've already paid for the real estate. Essentially allows them to capitalize on something they would otherwise not be able to use. I would love to be able to know like how like the profitability per location and like how they build up to profitability. You know, is it that your marquee clients that are like taking up most of the space that they actually like sign legit deals with? Are those guys making you already break even profitable and every like all these floating desks, they're just gravy on top and just like pure money flying through the door? Or is it they need a certain amount of floating desk occupancy to hit that threshold? Or, you know, do they have to have rough, like close to max capacity filled and raise prices over the next couple of years to get to profitability? Like I would love to get that level of granularity. Yeah, I think they have a, a slide on their on their investor deck, and essentially it's saying that uh, only ten percent of their folks are month to month, which would be essentially this all access plan I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and then more than fifty percent of their customers are um, twelve months plus. So those are going to be the businesses who are signing long term leases. Um, so it looks like most of their the bulk of their customers are enterprise at this point. It even says that in 50 percent plus of their customers are enterprise. Mm. So they already have to have that space for those customers. And it seems to me, I mean, it's purely speculative, but it seems to me that the all access people are, 
are kind of the gravy on on top. They don't necessarily like it's month to month. You can't really count on that revenue, but it it's a nice revenue that you can realize. Interesting. Well, I guess it comes down to from from like a portfolio allocation perspective. I like the company, but to me, it's like, is it worth allocating? Like, is it going to 10x in 10 years? So that's kind of my question, because that's kind of how I think about comp- uh, like the expected return on my company. It's like, is, does this have a shot even of, you know, growing 26% a year? Uh, if it does, it's interesting and it's like worth trying to game out and like a strategy to grow a position or to start one. Mm -hmm. But if the position itself is uh, not that type of fast growth, um, you know, either huge addressable market or huge, you know, market share type companies, if the physics of it can't grow that fast, then is it the right type of company for my portfolio? Yeah. I think uh, I think it goes back to that CEO question. How aggressive mm-hmm. is a CEO in expanding? And um, I think the easiest way for them to to 10x is to to continue acquiring massive amounts of real estate and just chewing through capital. I don't know if investors are going to have that appetite anymore. I think um, two years ago when they were trying to raise it, I think a sixty-five billion dollar valuation, <laughs> then I think. Yeah. It, I think it could have made sense. They would have continued that trajectory and just completely dominated the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the pullback we've seen, I think now this is a $9 billion valuation with the SPAC. I'm just, uh, it's a much different company that was two years ago. I think mm-hmm. even that, I mean, $65 billion is, is ludicrous looking at these numbers, but I think that even if they don't grow at that rate, they're they're generating a meaningful amount of revenue could they invest it in other products? Maybe, but I think your 10x would only come from that SaaS because I don't think that this uh, leadership team is going to is going to do everything they can to just acquire massive amounts of uh, leases and uh, mm-hmm. put customers in. Plus, the brand has suffered pretty significantly. I think it's still the only player in a lot of places, and they just essentially have a monopoly, especially on downtown real estate. I think, mm-hmm. uh, anecdotally speaking, most of the real uh, most of the like the co working spaces I've seen. Uh, and cities are not necessarily downtown. A lot of maybe San Francisco is an ex- exception, but like in DC and in other cities, most of it's not downtown. Most of it's um, kind of on the fringe. Somebody has some extra space that they decided to put on one of these like Liquid Desk or one of these different platforms that you can find uh, co-working spaces on. Mm-hmm. But um, so WeWork, WeWork does have you know a monopoly on the downtown area, but. Unless they're going to continue expanding so aggressively, there's there's very little chance that you're going to see a meaningful like a 10x uh, return. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. let's see. So they've got three billion uh, in the revenue table, excluding China, which for is... 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're expecting that for 2021. So right now they're at like a three x multiple. Mm-hmm. In 2024. They're expecting to be seven. And I normally would say that revenue tables and SPACs are kind of ludicrous, but this doesn't seem that outlandish. That they would go from three billion to seven in mm-hmm. four years. But if they're at seven, then you know, you get a three X multiple. So that's twenty one. So then that's, you know. I think for me, the position that I have I mean, it's it's percent wise, it's gone up a lot. Uh, I had warrants, so 
I kind of got in before the the pop happened. After the announcement, there was like a lull, and I swooped in. I feel like for now, I might want to sell, lock in the gain, put it somewhere else, and once they get bigger, like maybe in the, like once they once they become you know EBITDA profitable, like once they figure out all their numbers and they're looking for, like to turn themselves back into a tech business. Maybe I should put in a bigger stack of chips into WeWork then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm a big fan of the trajectory. I think this this whole market is growing rapidly. I think, uh, I don't know how well they can respond to the trends um, of getting out of downtown areas because I don't think people are used to commuting anymore and trying to be in more kind of localized places, uh, or more neighborhood places. Uh, could be a really interesting kind of way to grow, but I, I really like the whole like the tailwinds here. I think uh, COVID has pushed a lot of people to remote work. A lot of people do not want to stay in their house all day. They want an office. They don't necessarily have an office anymore. I know a lot of companies have gotten rid of their offices, especially startups. So you're seeing tens of millions of people who no longer have an office, and they're going to look for a place to go. If WeWork can offer that at a reasonable rate for the companies, the startups or the individuals, I could see some meaningful growth. I don't think it's going to be a massive growth. I think it's, especially at this point, to try to just double the number of leases they have and double the re- like double the revenue would be a monumental, would be a huge amount of work. And it doesn't sound like they they have like the horsepower to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the investment I currently have. Gonna watch it. I don't have much faith in the SaaS side, but the SaaS side is probably their um, highest margin potential. Uh, but all in all, I think. I, I'm gonna keep yeah I'm gonna keep an eye on it. I like my position as it is, and I like um, I like where this is potentially going. I think they've they've demonstrated incredible growth uh, up to this point. I think uh, looking at a lot of these numbers, like we're seeing um, 35,000 physical memberships in 2015 and 450,000 in 2020, um, but that is the old guard that type of growth. And we'll have to see what the new guard does. Right now, they're just making sure that this company can become profitable. Once it becomes profitable, uh, they put in maybe new leadership. Then it'll be interesting to see um, if that new leadership can can continue the the old growth trajectory and make this into a, a big company. Mm-hmm. Curveball. What do you think are the chances that Adam Newman, former WeWork CEO and founder, comes back to the helm? I don't think it's likely because he soured his relationship with the biggest shareholder, which is SoftBank. So, I mean, they, I think they paid him $500 million to leave. So, I think... I mean, uh, he. I feel like Adam is the type of guy that he could convince you to give him another $500 million to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he... Like that old team, like really pushed this, but also it has such a strong brand. And I think the brand is a really important aspect of this. Like... Like that 2019 kerfluffle was a huge black mark on the brand. Um, it used to have but such people a, forget about those things, man. Like, uh, I don't know. At least because especially WeWork is kind of seen as a tech company in the tech space. Everyone remembers that. Like the guy at the jet, he like licensed out the he trademarked We and then licensed it out to his own company for five million. Like this is like some just ridiculous stuff that came out in that uh, S1. 
So yeah, character think, flaws. Character flaws. I mean, he I just think needs also to, he just needs to go to Joshua Tree and like reset his chi or whatever. But now we're like we're we're two years <laughs> away. I think all the documentaries are going to start coming out. I think one may have already come out on like one did happened. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So so now it's going to be like resurfaced in the public uh, public mind. So mm. uh, I don't yeah I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. I think uh, whoever I I feel like it wasn't him who was pushing for the like i'm sure like he was pushing for the growth but who was actually executing to grow it this quickly it'd be interesting if they brought that that team back because i mean this is like really insane like this many leases this quickly i think mm-hmm. like sonder is maybe the only other company kind of in this ballpark of like this much capital going into like just acquiring leases as quickly as possible but yeah i think i'm i almost don't want to I, I i think i don't want to see that type of growth at this stage, I think I'd, I'd rather to just become profitable because profitability mm. alone, right? If you're able to, you have $3 billion in revenue. Um, I don't think it says how much the total cost of their lease, uh, how much they're paying in leases every year. Could we assume like $2 billion? Does that sound reasonable? Yeah. So $2 billion in uh, leases every year, $3.2 billion in revenue, uh, cost of, of operating everything, maybe $500 million. Maybe that seems a little low to me. Uh-huh. Let's say seven hundred and fifty million to to operate everything. So all of the um, like the sales team, the the leadership team, marketing team, marketing costs, marketing expenses, all of this, and then also like free coffee and all the benefits in the in the coworking space. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven hundred and fifty million still seems a little bit low, I think, at, at the scale for eight hundred units. But at that point, you're what you've got like five hundred and fifty million dollars of uh, or four hundred fifty million dollars of uh, profit. You know, okay, so you don't think that the SaaS side of things is really going to pick up again? Well, the thing is, I also don't understand it that well. Like, I don't understand the real estate market well enough to see uh, what kind of margins they can get and um, how many customers they can acquire with that mm. software. Like, in my head, I'm thinking that WeWork is a co working company. Their core competency is creating effective office spaces for their customers having a SaaS company is a whole different beast and they might have a division that's doing it, but without that core focus on the SaaS business, I'm not confident that it'll do, it'll be like, it'll do that well. Right. Cause if you're, if you're a coworking, mm-hmm. if you're like a space company and now you're trying to be like a software company, I mean, there's some software they use, but well, I'm space just companies not... have to, you know, make some software. Yeah. You have to make software, but can you sell the software? I think like acquiring mm-hmm. leases is one thing, but, selling software is a whole nother beast. So mm. it's two separate skill sets that I'm not confident that the company has. Like I so, think I'd be more interested in them acquiring some type of company that's already doing this and helping like sell them to their existing landlords and maybe wrapping that into the lease deals to help reduce the cost of their existing leases. Do you think that WeWork would be better fit? Well, it seems so that uh, they would be better fit to just turn into like a dividend pr- printing REIT at some point? Oh, I think, I mean, I, I love when people do that. Just like, don't worry about it. Like, we're just going to keep printing money for you and you can just sit back and take your dividend. Like, I think that, that's that's good. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As an investor, I think that'd be a little bit sad because I am expecting some growth, but I don't expect like... Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of too. Yeah. yeah. I don't expect 200% uh, gains on the stock. I think... 
Uh, with this current leadership team, I'm just excited about them becoming profitable and then um, seeing what happens from there. But no, I, I don't expect it to to really pop off. I should get at least a 2-3x. I'm, I'm almost double what I started at. So I'm hoping for maybe like a 3x. Yeah, I mean, that's like, but that's like uh, on the mark, like on the speculation and the like the stock side. I'm thinking like just from a core like business fundamentals standpoint, like what is a reasonable valuation for a company with $500 million of profit every year? I mean, especially in this space, like the margins are not great, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you expect it to suddenly be worth $20 billion? I mean, yeah, if, if investors get excited again, but mm-hmm. I think from a business standpoint, I don't really see uh, quick growth here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to stick with that plan that I mentioned earlier, for at least for myself, where I kind of wait for the ticker to change. There's usually a little bit of excitement and get out and then uh, maybe get back in if they ever figure out the SaaS side of things. Yeah. I do think it's a little bit undervalued in the sense that uh, to prep for this, I was looking at some investor discussions on the company and everyone was was just like writing it off because of what happened in 2019. Okay. Again, like we have no idea what the what the actual margins are, but I'm just speculating that they can get to this number of $500 million in profit. If they can get to that number, what does that mean for their valuation? Um, right now it's valued at $9 billion. I guess my point is that I think people are writing it off a little bit prematurely. I do think that there is a meaningfully sized like amount of profit and um, cash that this company can spin off. And then what they can do with that could be pretty interesting. I mean, with $500 million a year, if you just put it into the company, you can acquire a ton more leases, and then you can continue growing your, your revenue. Yeah. Your bookings. So, yeah. I mean, that's more cash to put into the company than almost any, like a lot of the tech companies have. Well, it's, well, it's not really a tech yeah. company. <laughs> that's why I mean, yeah, the, the leases are so expensive, but I think, I think they're mm-hmm. just with having so much uh, capital, I think it could be interesting how they allocate it. Cause if you just assume that they acquire 500 million, just for the sake of argument, if they acquired $500 million worth of uh, leases every year, what does that mean? If what maybe 30% margin makes sense. So in like five years with compounding, they'll have acquired maybe like $2 billion worth of additional profit. No, not that fast. Maybe like $1.2, $1.3 billion of additional uh, free cash flow. So, so then if you're looking at like 10 years from now, how big is this business? Yeah, it could be like an additional like two, $3 billion in free cash flow. It's just that the multiple is not going to be ever be very high for a, a real estate business. And their TAM is growing, but their TAM isn't like growing that fast. Yeah, I think the TAM expectation is like 20% growth. But yeah, I, I agree. I think the TAM's not growing fast enough. But I think that as they go into more places, it's mm-hmm. easy to expand, especially in developing countries where there is no competition here. I guess this would be great if I could rational, like if I talked myself into having more real estate type business exposure. Yeah, I think it's a similar, similar kind of issue as we talked with uh, talked about with Sonder. Mm-hmm. Like if you compare, yeah. if you compare like WeWork with, um, uh, what's, there's like a, I think it's Liquid Space. Is the uh, is like the Airbnb equivalent of WeWork? Mm-hmm. Like WeWork gets all the buzz, like they have all the marketing, they have all the leases that they've acquired. Um, but Liquid Space is the one who's servicing the seventy five percent of the market right now. So they're the ones who are like 
all the mom and pop co-working spaces, they're all listed on this Airbnb equivalent. So is that a better business? Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> they don't have any leases. <laughs> so when COVID hits, uh, they don't they don't really I mean they lose some some customers because fewer people are booking, but they don't have all these uh, existing obligations that are just gonna just burn piles and piles of money. Well, it seems like we uh, have our points of view laid out and our minds made up. I'm, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm excited for the long term. I'm curious to see what they do with all this cash. Uh, if it's just slow growth, you know, I'm for it. I think, uh, you know, two, three billion dollars in ten years of additional capital, mm-hmm. uh, cash flow. Uh, I wonder what kind of valuation that would get them. I guess in this yeah. market, that might be like a twenty, thirty billion dollar valuation. That much yeah. cash. Which could yeah. be could be interesting, especially because their revenue would go up so significantly. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a long term hold for me. I am a I'm very very bullish on the space. I don't know that WeWork is definitely is exactly like the right investment vehicle for it, but uh, I think it's the only one that there is right now. So um, yeah, I'm gonna keep my investment where it is. Uh, I'll probably look at it in another uh, five to ten years. I'm a I'm a hold for now as well, uh, but I will be looking for a good off ramp to trying to stick my money in other more uh, sweet pies. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a long-term hold, not a, uh, you know, 10 X overnight kind of, kind of play. If only. All right. Good stuff, Alex. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us at SPAC Island on Twitter for updates, to give us feedback on the show and to tell us which SPACs to review next. Note. The opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and not of any entities that they may be associated with. As always, this is not financial advice. Remember to do your own research.